All right, church family, it is so good to be together. I want to send uh, greetings to church family and those tuning in from home. I was glad when they said, let us go to the house of the Lord. And God's spirit has been so good to meet with us during this time here today. And I believe the spirit of God continues to be powerfully present with us this day and has a word for us from Genesis chapter 47. And so I'd like to invite you to turn with me to Genesis 47. Our sermon title is The Famine in Our Land. And we are examining a point in the story of Joseph in which a great famine covers the earth. The storehouses of the world were empty, and the people cried for bread, and they came to Joseph because they were starving. This was during a time in ancient Egypt called the Middle Kingdom. Uh, Our interest this morning, however, is not mostly in what happened back then, It is what is happening in the world today because just as there was a famine in their day, so there is a famine of a different kind in our day. And God intends for us to cry out in our hunger and seek nourishment for our souls. I'd like to invite you to please stand for the reading of God's word. We're going to read from Genesis 47, and in fact, I'd like to, if you can flip back, I'm going to read a few verses in Genesis 41. We'll come back to Genesis 47, and most of the text will be there. But at the end of Genesis 41, we also read some about this famine. This is God's holy and authoritative word, Genesis 41, beginning in verse 53. The seven years of plenty that occurred in the land of Egypt came to an end, and the seven years of famine began to come. As Joseph had said, there was famine in all lands, but in all the land of Egypt there was bread. When all the land of Egypt was famished, the people cried to Pharaoh for bread. Pharaoh said to all the Egyptians, go to Joseph. What he says to you, do. So when the famine had spread over all the land, Joseph opened all the storehouses and sold to the Egyptians, for the famine was severe in the land of Egypt. Moreover, all the earth came to Egypt, to Joseph, to buy grain, because the famine was severe over all of the earth. Then continuing in chapter 47, verse 13. Now there was no food in all the land, for the famine was very severe, so that the land of Egypt and the land of Canaan languished by reason of the famine. And Joseph gathered up all the money that was found in the land of Egypt and in the land of Canaan in exchange for the grain that they bought. And Joseph brought the money into Pharaoh's house. And when the money was all spent in the land of Egypt and in the land of Canaan, all the Egyptians came to Joseph and said, Give us food. Why should we die before your eyes? For our money is gone. And Joseph answered, Give your livestock and I will give you food in exchange for your livestock, if your money is gone. So they brought their livestock to Joseph, and Joseph gave them food in exchange for the horses, the flocks, the herds, and the donkeys. He supplied them with food in exchange for all their livestock that year. And when that year was ended, they came to him the following year and said to him, We will not hide from my Lord that our money is all spent. 
The herds of livestock are my Lord's. There is nothing left in the sight of my Lord but our bodies and our land. Why should we die before your eyes, both we and our land? Buy us and our land for food, and we with our land will be servants to Pharaoh. And give us seed that we may live and not die, and that the land may not be desolate. So Joseph bought all the land of Egypt for Pharaoh, for all the Egyptians sold their fields, because the famine was severe on them. The land became Pharaoh's. And as for the people, he made servants of them from one end of Egypt to the other. Only the land of the priests he did not buy, for the priests had a fixed allowance from Pharaoh and lived on the allowance that Pharaoh gave them. Therefore, they did not sell their land. Then Joseph said to the people, Behold, I have this day bought you and your land for Pharaoh. Now here is seed for you, and you shall sow the land. And at the harvest you shall give a fifth to Pharaoh, and four-fifths shall be your own, a seed for the field, and as food for yourselves and your households, and as food for your little ones. And they said, you have saved our lives. May it please my Lord, we will be servants to Pharaoh. So Joseph made it a statute concerning the land of Egypt, and it stands to this day that Pharaoh should have the fifth. The land of the priests alone did not become Pharaoh's. Thus Israel settled in the land of Egypt, in the land of Goshen, and they gained possessions in it and were fruitful and multiplied greatly. And Jacob lived in the land of Egypt 17 years. So the days of Jacob, the years of his life, were 147 years. And when the time drew near that Israel must die, he called his son Joseph and said to him, If now I have found favor in your sight, put your hand under my thigh and promise to deal kindly and truly with me. Do not bury me in Egypt, but let me die with my fathers. Carry me out of Egypt and bury me in their burying place. He answered, I will do as you have said. And he said, Swear to me. And he swore to him. Then Israel bowed himself upon the head of his bed. May God bless the preaching of his word. You may be seated. It's difficult for most of us today to imagine the horrors of famine. There's a famous award-winning photograph called Starving Child and Vulture. It was taken during the Sudan famine in 1993. It's a photograph of a frail famine-stricken boy, uh, an emaciated toddler, ribs exposed, arms and legs are bone thin. He's hunched to the ground. He's crawling face down with a hungry vulture eyeing him nearby. The child was attempting to reach a feeding center about half a mile away in Sudan. It is a devastating and a heartbreaking picture that captures something of the reality of famine. The, pho- the photographer said he found the boy when he heard whimpering in the open bush. Uh, he later scared the vulture away and watched as the child continued toward the feeding center. And the photographer said that afterwards he sat down, lit a cigarette, talked to God, and wept. Genesis 47 describes a great famine that lasted seven long years 
and explains how Joseph governed through that famine with wisdom and grace. First, he sold grain and put the money in Pharaoh's treasury. When the people then ran out of money, they begged for help, and the people were able to give their livestock in exchange for food. Then they ran out of livestock, and they desired to give their land and themselves as serfs to do agricultural labor in exchange for certain rights and privileges, including food to stay alive and seed to grow for the future. When we read this chapter, it can be confusing as modern readers because Joseph's policies result in serfdom, but there are a few things to keep in mind. One, we certainly shouldn't confuse what's happening in this chapter with the atrocities of the African slave trade. Some say that what we have here in Genesis 47 is more like tenured farming. Uh, slavery is not a part of God's creational design, nor can it in any way be supported by Scripture. Two, uh, Joseph's economic plans and his taxing are comparatively generous for that time. The narrative point of the chapter is the severity of the famine and Joseph's wise and gracious governance in supplying the needs of the people and saving the lives of many. And so the people say in verse 25, you have saved our lives. May it please my Lord, we will be servants to Pharaoh. The Nile is crucial to the well-being of Egypt. The large river runs north through the country and the seasonal overflow of that river on the surrounding land was essential to their economy. If the flooding is too low, then less crops would grow, which would lead to food shortages, as well as other uh, impacts on economic resources like clothes and shelter. The book of Isaiah in Isaiah 19 is a remarkable chapter. It's an entire chapter on the purpose of the Lord in drying the Nile at a later time. Uh, in Isaiah 19, it says that the Lord comes to Egypt and the idols of Egypt tremble at his presence. And it says that he comes to dry the Nile. The river will be dry and parched. All that is sown by the Nile will be parched. He says in that same chapter, Isaiah 19, that fishermen will lament, workers and weavers of cotton will despair, and all who work for pay will be grieved. It says the rulers will become fools, people will fight against each other, and mighty Egypt, it says, will stagger like a drunken man as famine devastates the land. And the design of the Lord in this famine will be not an economic or political purpose, but that the people would no longer look to the idols of the land, but look to the Lord alone. God himself would strike and humble the land, stripping them of their idols and their security. Why? He would do it so that the people would cry out to God, so the people would return to the Lord. Have you ever wondered, you may have wondered, if you've spent some time as a Christian and you're reading your Bible, you will see that famine and the search for food are a prominent theme 
throughout Israel's history and throughout the biblical storyline. If you've ever wondered why that is, here's the reason. It's because food signifies provision and nourishment and satisfaction. And God is teaching us the spiritual truth that he wants his people to hunger and thirst for him. Israel knew hunger in the wilderness and God graciously and generously provided manna. But he did this to teach that we need more than the nourishment of physical bread. Describing their 40 years in the wilderness, Deuteronomy chapter 8 says, And he humbled you and let you hunger and fed you with manna, which you did not know nor did your fathers know. And this is why. That he might make you know that man does not live by bread alone, but man lives by every word that comes from the mouth of the Lord. Their physical need, their physical affliction is intended by God to point to their greater need for God himself. Did you know there is something worse than hunger and famine, and physical death. There is something worse. The prophet Amos in Amos 8.11, referring to those centuries when God no longer spoke through his prophets, says this, the prophet says, Behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will send a famine on the land, not a famine of bread, nor a thirst for water, but of hearing the words of the Lord. A famine, not of food, not of water. A famine of hearing the words of the Lord. A greater curse for a nation simply would not be possible. Brothers and sisters, there is a danger greater than a famine of food, and that is a famine of the word of God. And God spoke through the prophet Amos to say the nation would be destroyed, not for lack of food, but for lack of truth. A spiritual famine, a famine of the word of God. And here, here is what we need, the, the spiritual discernment to see. Friends, there is a famine in our day. There is a terrible famine in this nation. The land is languished. And the problem today is not a famine in which God is not speaking. We have the truth of his authoritative word. Yet we are in a situation in which millions of men and women are famished for truth. We have a famine in which we do not value God and his word of truth. A famine in which we do not look to him as we ought. And this is the famine in our land. This world, this world is groaning under the effects of the fall. National unrest is on the rise Fear and anxiety surround us and our society is increasingly polarized to the point of anger and hostility. The world is 
desperate for answers, but the storehouses of this world are empty. And more than ever, people, even some Christians, are looking for answers in this world, looking for answers in social action in legislation and politics, in earthly leaders, looking for answers in a particular vision of America. We are looking to this world for peace and a hope and joy that this world can never provide. Don't spend your time and money and emotional energy on that which is not bread. Don't pour your life and your heart into that which will not satisfy. Seek the Lord. Delight yourself in the richest of food. And I come to this theme today with a burden. I have a pastoral concern. It is not an out there concern for the world. It is an in here concern for the church. I am concerned that some are feeding on cultural commentary and social analysis and social media and political opinions to the point that our priorities and our worldview are being shaped more by those things than by the Word of God. I'm concerned that too many Christians are experiencing a passion for social and political messages that is drowning out our passion for the message of the gospel and our love for Christ and his people. And so we must resolve. We must resolve as Christians throughout this nation and we must resolve as a church family here at Covenant Fellowship, we must resolve more now than ever, we will not allow the cultural din to drown out the Word of God. And I believe that the Spirit of God, the Spirit of God to whom we have cried out even in this service, asking Him to fill us with His power and His presence, I believe the Spirit of God is calling us back to the old paths to hunger for his presence, to feed on his word, to satisfy our souls and find our deepest joy, not in any social conditions or any political outcomes, but in Christ alone. The Spirit of God is leading us in this. Can you imagine how much different the church of Christ in America would look if we repented of our political idolatry? Can you imagine how different the church in America would look if we reclaimed a sense of our heavenly citizenship? If we regained a sense of spiritual hungering and thirsting for Christ and for the word of God? The psalmist in Psalm 63, it is David, when he was in the wilderness in Judah. He says, oh God, you are my God. Earnestly I seek you. My soul thirsts for you. My flesh faints for you as in a dry and weary land where there is no water. My soul will be satisfied as with fat and rich food and my mouth will praise you with joyful lips. 
Friends, let's resolve now that whatever the outcome of the election and whatever the future of our nation, our souls will be satisfied in God. And we will go on praising him with songs of joy. Isn't this the way of the reformers? Isn't this what we celebrate this Reformation Day? It was a rediscovery of the glory of God a rediscovery of the word of God. They believe that there is a word above all earthly powers and that word abides forever with zero credit to any king or president or governor or earthly power. You sang it, that word above all earthly powers. No thanks to them. No thanks to any earthly power. That word above all earthly powers abideth. The body they may kill, God's truth abideth still. His kingdom is forever. And oh, how I have prayed for a reformation and revival in our day. A singular passion for the glory of God in our lives. A joyful, unshakable, unified church in the midst of cultural turmoil. Nations turning to God and seeking Christ who alone can save us and satisfy us in a dry and weary land. Restore us again, O God of our salvation. Will you not revive us again that your people may rejoice in you? Give us food, we cry. Give us the food of your presence, the food of your word. We are a people in a famished land, desperate for God, for his presence, and for his truth. The famine that Amos spoke of ended when Christ came into the world. And there are more than enough supplies in the storehouse of our Lord Jesus Christ to satisfy us completely. When Jesus came into the world, he told his disciples that he has food to eat that they know nothing about in John 4. He taught in John 6 that he is the bread of life that has come down from heaven. He multiplied food and fed the hungry crowds to show that he alone can satisfy the spiritual hunger of the world. Yes, we are today in a land of great famine and need, but God knows our every need and has made provision gloriously for us in Jesus Christ. Through his death and through his resurrection, Christ forgives all of our sin. Christ makes us whole. Christ clothes us in his righteousness and satisfies us completely. There is no one like this Savior. Octavius Winslow says this, let the life you live in the flesh, encompassed by daily, hourly infirmities, trial and sorrows, let this life be a daily drawing of new blessings from your divine granary. Whatever you're craving, you will find in Jesus a corresponding supply And here it is, you have no sin, his blood cannot cleanse. You have no grief, his sympathy will not soothe. 
No infirmity. His grace will not help. No perplexity. His wisdom will not guide. No lack. His sufficiency will not supply. Christ is an all-sufficient Savior. We go to the divine granary to find the bounty of his blessings and his grace to give us what we need in life and in death. Jesus told a story involving a famine in Luke 15. It's a story intended to encourage us to come to him for grace. A son ran away from home to a faraway land and spent all that he had And then just as he had spent all he had, a severe famine came. And that was when he became desperate. And he remembered in his hunger and in his great need that there was more than enough bread and provision in his father's house. But he feared to return because of what he had done and because of the condition that he was now in. But when he did return, we're told that the father who was full of compassion, saw him a long ways off and ran to him and embraced him and kissed him. And Christ says that this is how he accepts us in our sin and misery. That he is a savior full of mercy. He is a savior full of compassion. Just as Pharaoh told a desperate people to go to Joseph, So a desperate people today can go to Jesus for grace and he will welcome you and he will throw a feast and satisfy you with his goodness. As we see in the Joseph story, all the people of the world coming to Joseph, we cannot help but to see a picture of the world's need for Christ. John Lennox says, Genesis began with God creating a world where there is food in abundance. It ends with God sending a man to save a starving world where the harvest has repeatedly failed. And just as God sent Joseph to a starving world, then he has sent us a true and better Joseph in Christ. And just as God exalted Joseph for the blessing of the world in a physical famine, so God has exalted Christ for the blessing of the world, for our blessing in the midst of our spiritual famine. We see in Joseph such a beautiful picture of the glory of Christ. And a text like this should leave us resting on Christ and trusting in him. When we see this power and authority, when we see this boundless supply and provision, when we see this wisdom and grace, this is Christ in all of his dealings with us. And just as the hungry And needy multitudes looked to Joseph and said, you have saved our lives. We will be your servants. Oh, what do we say to Christ? How can we not look to him and say, you have saved our lives. You have saved our lives in giving your life in our place. You have rescued us from sin and death. And we belong to you. And we will serve you all the days of our lives. Covenant Fellowship, I I urge you, in the midst of the famine in our land, let's not forget our mission as a church. Let's not forget what it is God has called us to. A hungry and famished world is seeking hope, and by God's grace, we have the great privilege of pointing them to Christ. These are, without a doubt, difficult days. 
Difficult days for our nation, difficult days for us as a church. But this church has been made for times like this. Through the decades, from the start of this church in 1984, we have been prepared for these days. And our mission remains the same and is truly more urgent and more relevant than ever. We exist to treasure Christ. We exist to grow in Christ. We exist to proclaim Christ as Savior of a lost and languishing world. And so during the famine, as it was said, go to Joseph In these days, may it be said, go to Jesus. Go to Jesus, look to Jesus, trust in Jesus, delight your soul in Jesus, set your hope, brothers and sisters, fully in the return of our Lord Jesus Christ. We resolve this day, we will be satisfied in him alone. Amen.